Timothy is ashamed of the gospel. And really, this is no different in our day. Many in our day are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It truly can be one of our greatest temptations to shrink back. We live in a day where people are worried far more about the opinions of man, the opinions of others, what people think of you, rather than what God thinks and what He says. We live in the midst of an outrage culture that if you say the wrong things, you will be cast into public shame never to be considered normal again. And so often in our culture, Christians live in fear. To stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be villainized in our culture. And really, most of the world today, the American society that we live in, they say things like, it's fine to be a Christian as long as you're not one of those zealots. It's fine to be a Christian as long as you leave your opinions to yourself. It's fine to be a Christian as long as you worship in private and it doesn't affect everyone else. It's fine to be a Christian as long as you bake the cake. It's fine to be a Christian as long as you call them by the right pronoun. It's fine to be a Christian as long as you say that there are many ways to heaven and that Christ is just one way. It's fine to be a Christian as long as you keep your gospel. It's offensive yourself. In our country, there is no place for the gospel in the public sphere of our country. And many in fear will not speak. They will not stand firm. And we struggle with a heart of cowardice, with a heart of fear, like young Timothy did. And instead of the spirit of power which God has given us, instead, we shrink back. But Jesus had words for us. For those who seek the approval of society, the approval of men, for the approval of those around them, he said this in Luke 26, in Luke 6, 6, 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. This truly is a warning from Jesus himself. A woe to any who would seek the approval of men as we forsake the truth. To stand for the truth will mean that some will not like you. It will mean that even some will hate you and some will speak evil of you. To stand for the truth of God, you will lose friends. You will lose family members. To be a follower of Christ, it always comes with a price. And sometimes that price is relationships. Sometimes that price is conflict with others in our lives. Sometimes that price is to be reviled for Christ's sake. Jesus said it would happen to his followers. He said in Luke 21, 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. He said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Why does the world hate Christ? And why will the world hate his followers? Well, Christ is utter perfection. This world is described as darkness in the scriptures. And Christ is pure light in the darkness. 
He is righteousness made manifest. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect one. And because Christ is holy, because He is perfect in every way, He exposes what is sinful. Christ, the Word of God made flesh. Christ, the truth of God made flesh, brings light to the lie. He brings light to the darkness. He shines a bright light on our sin. He shines a bright light on the unrighteousness of man. He reveals who we truly are apart from Him. That we are depraved. We are sinful. We are the wicked ones to our core. And the world, this system of sin, the Scriptures teach that that world is desperately trying to push down this reality. The world does not want to know that they are sinful. All of their lives they are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They do not want to come to the grips with the fact that they are sinners and that there is a judgment that is coming for their sin. And so they suppress that knowledge. But the thing about Jesus Christ is He brings light to this knowledge. He exposes who man truly is. And anything and anyone that exposes the true nature of man will be hated. And this is why Christ is hated. Anything that threatens the life that they love most, we know that the Pharisees, they hated Christ because He was a threat to what they loved most, to their idolatry, their idolatry of self, their power, the things that they loved in their heart that they wanted to keep so close to them. You can always tell when you mess with someone's idol by the way that they react. Whether it be a physical thing, whether it be a spiritual thing, people react when you mess with their idols. And the Pharisees reacted to Christ because He threatened their idols. And because they loved the world, because they worshipped what was sinful, because they worshipped what God has made rather than God, Jesus spoke of the judgment that was to come for such sins. And this is why they hated Him. It's really the very reason that they killed Him. The very reason He was a threat, the reason that He threatened them was because He threatened the life that they loved. He threatened what they loved most, which was their sin. He revealed that judgment is coming against sin. And tr hear me today, it was truly easier to kill Him, it was easier to put Him to death, to persecute Him, than to face the truth of the reality to which He spoke. The world hates Christ. And if you follow Him, if you live for Him, the world will hate you also. Why? Because we are to reflect Him in the world. We are to be His disciples. We are to walk in His ways. We are to follow in His footsteps. We are to speak His words. We are to speak His gospel. We are to speak of sin. We are to speak of righteousness. And we are to speak of the judgment that is to come. We are to speak to the fact that men have no hope apart from Christ Jesus. And as we reflect the one who is chiefly hated among the world, Christ Jesus, we will be hated also.
Jesus said in John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. We are not above Christ. He is our master. And he was persecuted. He is our master. And he was put to death. Will not his servants also suffer in a world that hates him? Truly, this is what Christ has promised his followers. A servant is not greater than his master. If your master suffered, so will the servant. We should expect it. And really, this morning, as I studied this message, as I know this can come across as harsh, and and we're not ready for this in, in our American life that we live. Why? Because we need to read our Bibles. We don't know what Christ has said. We don't know what's in this book. We're not prepared for these words of Christ Jesus that have been here for 2,000 years. This shouldn't be a surprise to us, but in our American lifestyle, it is. And one of the greatest reasons is because we listen to TV preachers more than we read our Bibles. We shouldn't trust them. See, they care far more about telling you how awesome you are than telling you the truth. What do you think will make the TV preacher more wealthy and more popular? Preaching like the Apostle Paul, who got him run out of town, who often he got stoned, whipped, He's in prison right here because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he, he preached about sin, Christ, the cross, and the coming judgment. You think that'll make him rich and powerful? Or preaching that tickles the ears of the hearers. Preaching that never speaks about sin, never speaks of the cross, never for one moment speaks of the judgment of God that comes, that is to come. Preaching that glorifies men instead of God. This is what they preach. This is what makes them wealthy. This is what makes them popular. But as I said, we need to read our Bibles more. Because what we're going to find in the Scripture is that if we live for Christ, if we seek to live a godly life, we'll suffer for it. This idea that if we live for Christ, everything's going to be easy in your life, it's not found in the Bible. Remember, Jesus said to count the cost. Jesus said, if you would be His, that you must bear a cross. Jesus told us to die to ourselves. To count the cost is really to ask yourself, will I follow Christ no matter what? Will I follow Christ to no matter what end? Is He worthy for me to give my entire life to? What if things don't go well? Will I still follow Him? This is what it means to count the cost. Count the cost. 
in the face of anything that this world will throw at you. It is to ask yourself, do I really want this? Do I really want to be His? Do I really want to commit my life to Christ? Or will I look back? Will I want my old life once again? Will I want the, that, that former sins of my past life that I once loved? Will I be able to handle it when I lose family or friends because of Christ? Will I be able to persevere in the faith? This is what Christ meant when he said, count the cost. The Christian faith costs you something. And really, truly, this is the exact opposite of what we've been taught. The modern teaching is, come to Christ and you will have everything you want. Come to Christ and everything's going to go your way. But the biblical gospel is, come to Christ and renounce yourself. Come to Christ and repent. Come to Christ and repent of your love for your own kingdom, for your idols, for yourself, and then follow after Him. Surrender all to Him is the call of the gospel. And live for Christ, not yourself. Really what we see in Scripture and all of history, and hear me this day, that those who are the most faithful to Christ suffer for it. Those who are willing to share this gospel, those who are willing to, to tell people about Christ, those who are willing to live a holy life in this age, they suffer for it. This is what we see, not only in Scripture, but we see throughout history of the Christian faith. And really, this is the promise of Scripture. Not that you will have everything that you ever wanted. Not that Christ died to make you rich. Not that Christ died to give you your best life now. No, the Scriptures teach that if you live for Christ, if you are faithful to Him, if you're faithful to His mission, His work, His church, you will suffer harm for it. And I ask you this morning, count the cost. Is Christ worth it to you? And as I said, the more faithful you are to Him, the more you will suffer for it. This is what the Scriptures teach. Hear me on this verse this morning in 1 Timothy. Sorry, 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 12. It says this. This is what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. He said this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In our hearts, we know this to be true. You know you live in communities. You know you work at workplaces that are hostile to the truth of God's Word. And you know if you stood up and you took a, a firm stand for what God says and His Christ, His Gospel, you will suffer harm for it. We know this. And so always the temptation is to shrink back. Always the temptation is to fear men rather 
than to be obedient to God. And this is the struggles for young Timothy that we find right here in this text. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it said that all who live, who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Wayne Gruden, he notes on this verse, suffering is an expected element in Christian living. The actual persecution may be less when there is more Christian influence on the laws and cultural values of society. But the unbelieving world will always remain deeply hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a time here in America where it's been the, one of the easiest time in history to be a Christian. We've really had lives of ease and suffering has been rather slim compared to history. But I do believe this time is ending in our nation. If you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in 21st century America, you will suffer harm for it. There is a rising animosity towards Christianity in this nation right now. The winds of persecution are blowing in this nation. It is coming for Christians. And for those who hold the biblical line, they will be persecuted for it. But you know what we see? You know what we see on the news? You know what you see most pastors doing? A waffling on the truth of God. It won't be long until we hear most of them accepting those major sins of our society. Recently, a famous pastor was on The View. He was asked about abortion. He was asked if abortion in your church is a sin. He said, I would have to know their situation. He said, God is a judge. Nobody's mad about that answer. Nobody's upset about that answer. But what's the word of God say? It's, it is no matter what, an absolute sin to destroy an image bearer of God, to take an innocent life as God has said, you shall not murder. It is a breaking of God's law. It is a sin that will be judged by the holy God. There is no excuse for abortion. It is murder. Amen. But this pastor, he couldn't say that. Why? he was scared. He wanted to stay in the good graces of people. He wanted to remain popular. He wanted to remain wealthy. He couldn't stand up for the truth. He wouldn't be loved by the world then. He didn't want to suffer any harm. And so he waffled on the truth. And this happens all the time in our culture. And really, this is the struggle that the Apostle Paul is writing to. This was Timothy's great temptation. 
He was struggling with the desire to stand firm on the truth of God's word. He was struggling to face the opposition. He was struggling with this idea of suffering for the gospel. He had a spirit of fear and he was not relying on the Holy Spirit of God. He was not relying on the power that God had given him. He was giving into his flesh and he was giving into the desire to keep the peace where there should have been no peace. He was giving in to the fear of men rather than desiring to honor his holy father. Paul knows of Timothy's desire to shrink back. He knows of this desire of his to avoid suffering, to be ashamed, and he is calling him right now, as we learned last week, to fan into flame the gift that God has given him, to quit being a coward, to not have this spirit of fear, but that he needs to stand up, he needs to stop being timid, and he needs to stand firm on the word of God. Because God has given him not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. And this is where we pick up this morning. Paul says to Timothy, Therefore, because you've been given this spirit of power and love and self-control, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So this testimony of Christ... It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This same gospel is what Paul said that he was not ashamed of. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel because he knew that this is how people get saved. He cared far more about people's souls. He cared far more about people reaching heaven through the one way, Jesus Christ, than he cared about the opinions of people. This gospel that that Paul was not ashamed of was Jesus Christ and him crucified. A message that in Timothy's day could easily have been considered foolish. And really, to this day, is considered foolish. You think of this the predominant culture, the atheists, the, the naturalists, the, the scientists, they, they scoff, they laugh at this gospel of Jesus Christ. They laugh at this idea that some man could rise from the dead. It's foolishness to them. Guthrie notes on this verse, such a message would have brought public shame to its preachers, especially in a Greek environment where the preaching of the cross was foolishness. This message was foolishness to the world. It still is foolishness to the world. And if Timothy was to preach this biblical gospel, if he was to preach that God in the flesh has come, that God in the flesh has fulfilled all things, and that he died a sacrificial death in the place of sinners, and on the third day he rose again, this would easily have been scoffed at in his culture. It would have been ridiculed. And Paul is encouraging young Timothy, don't be ashamed of God's message of salvation. And this message, much like in our day, would have been considered utter foolishness to the world. Why is it foolishness? Well, God intended it to be. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. I want you to think about this message of the Christian gospel this morning. The Christ, the Messiah, the one man who claimed to be both God and man. The one who comes into the world, he brings to himself a fully human nature. What would we expect of this most glorious man ever to live? If you were writing this story, what would you expect? I think we'd expect him to be all-powerful. I, I would expect we would think he would rule, that he would be good-looking, that he would be rich, that he would be arrayed in treasure, that he would be incredibly powerful that he would be loved by all and that he would be received by everyone, that he would bring peace on earth and he would conquer all the nations. But what took place in reality? He came as a lowly servant. He came as one who had no place to lay his head. He came as one who said he came to serve, not to be served. He came as... Isaiah 53 says that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, or no beauty that we should desire him. He was not rich. He was not famous. He was not what the world would desire. He was despised, and he was rejected, and he did the unthinkable thing. This God-man did the unthinkable thing. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And not only did he lay it down, he said he would take it up again, and he did just that. He rose again on the third day. And this is the message that is absolutely foolishness to the perishing world. William Mounts comments on this verse saying this, From a human point of view, think of this, from the, think of this, this morning. From a human point of view, there was so much in the gospel which to be ashamed it was a message of a failed prophet, rejected by his people, executed by the world's power. And he was preached by a collection of fishermen and undesirables. This is the message that the world hears when we preach the gospel. Foolishness in the world's eyes. But Paul urges Timothy right here that even if it is foolishness to the world, you must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he continues to say, nor me, his prisoner. Timothy would have been struggling with the temptation to distance himself from the Apostle Paul. He would have been struggling with the temptation to be like, I don't want to, be, I don't want to have anything to do with that prisoner because of fear worried that if he was too close to the Apostle Paul, that he himself would end up in prison. And so he's desiring to distance himself, both, both from Christ and the Apostle. But he needed to hear the words of Jesus, and every single one of us need to hear these words of Jesus this morning. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, he said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. 
Paul's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't be ashamed of his, his servant who is in prison. Instead, what's he call him to do? Share in the sufferings. Timothy, be willing to share in the sufferings for Christ. He says, by the power of God. Paul doesn't suffer here by himself or his own power. No, he is suffering and he's enabled to do so by the power of God. God has not left him. God has not forsaken him. God is with him and he is empowered to do so. God is strengthening him to go through this incredibly difficult situation, being in prison, about ready to lose his life. And he's encouraging Timothy not to flee for his life, but to share in the sufferings for the gospel. And this message this morning is not just for Timothy. It's for all of us. The question is, is, will we be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will we be ashamed of Christ our King? Will we deny Him before men? Will we be bold in our faith? Will we preach the gospel? Will we share the gospel? Will we give the good news in the face of ridicule, in the face of suffering, in the, sa- in the face of shame? in the face of public persecution or in the cases where we might lose family or friends? Will we share in this suffering? This morning, God is not calling you to be a fair-weather Christian. He's not calling you to be the lukewarm. He's not calling you to be a nominal believer. He's asking you the question today. Will you suffer for his sake? And if you are truly his, there's no reason to fear because he's going to give you the power to do so through the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling with this desire, if you're like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm too afraid. I don't have it in me. Well, Timothy didn't either. Timothy was struggling with that same fear. And so Paul sought to encourage him, and he seeks to encourage you here today. He motivates Timothy with the grace of God, the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in the very next verse, in verse 10, or, sorry, In verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So Timothy, suffer for the gospel because Jesus saved you. And he says, it's by no works of your own saying, Timothy, you couldn't get there. You couldn't earn your way to heaven, you were lost. You were, you were on the pathway to hell. There was no hope for you. But God stepped in. He took your place. He, he suffered and died in your stead. He saved you when you did not earn it. He saved you when you did not deserve it. He paid it all for you. You know, we often think of the cross 
we think that we were somehow worthy of it. That Christ died for the worthy ones. That it's just like, God loved me so much, he, he died for me on the cross, He saw me as worthy, He was willing to give His life for me, but it's really not that. It's not like that. It's not that you were worthy and Christ died for you. It's not that you deserved His death. What it truly is, is that the unworthy, those who didn't deserve life, those who deserved only judgment, those who God's judgment was pointed right at, He sets His affection on those who are sinners. He sets His affection on you while you didn't deserve anything. He sets His affection on you while you only deserve His judgment. That's what Romans 5.8 teaches. For this is love. That Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Not while we were the worthy. Not because we were awesome. Not because we were somehow righteous or we were somehow better than other people. No, God looked at what was completely unworthy. What completely did not deserve His love, His favor, His grace. And He said, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them so much that I send my one and only son to die for them. This is what Paul is encouraging Timothy with. You can suffer for Christ because think about all He's done for you. Think about your pathway without Him. Think about your life without Christ. Think about where you're going without Jesus Christ. And he's saying you can do this because Christ Gave it all for you. And he says it was no works of our own. This is God's doing. This is not our doing. This is not your doing. It's not my doing. We have done nothing to deserve our salvation. We've done nothing to earn our salvation. We are a Christian today simply because God willed it. Plain and simple. And it says there in verse 9, look closely at that verse this morning. It wasn't because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Jesus Christ before the ages began. That God set His affection on you before you were even born. Timothy, you can do this because remember, God has loved you for all of eternity. God hasn't looked down through the quarters of time and saw that you would be His, that you would choose Him, and then He chose you. No, this is not what it says. It got, God says that from all of eternity, His plan has been to save you. From all of eternity, His plan, His purpose for you is to, to save you. To give you new life in Him. Not because of your works, not because you were worthy. In fact, he, he sees your sin. He knows every single thought, every single sinful deed, every single thing that you've done in all your life. Can you imagine the knowledge that God has of us? He knows of all of our rebellion against Him, against other people, but He still set His affection on us. 
He still chose us before the foundations of the world, knowing the rebellion that we would have against him. And really, when we hear this and we say, God, you chose me before the foundations of the world, how can this be? What amazing love this is, what amazing grace this is, that you would save a wretch like me. See, Paul is doing this to encourage Timothy to push him forward, to say that you can suffer because of all that Christ has done for you. And not only that, he seeks to encourage him even further. If it's not enough to know that God saved you when you were unworthy of salvation, by no merit of your own, by no works of your own, if it's not enough to, to, to realize that He set your, His wondrous grace on you before the foundations of the world, not only that, Christ also abolished death. Christ also brought immortality to light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's trying to encourage Timothy, saying, death has lost its thing. What's the worst they could do to you? Take your body? And remember, this is coming from a man that is sitting in a prison cell. It's coming from a man who's about ready to lose his head. And he's saying, Timothy, remember that when you suffer for the gospel, that Christ has abolished death. As a believer, there is no hell waiting for you. We should be able to take such great comfort, such great joy in this fact that there is no hell waiting for us. This life, this suffering that you would go through, the here and now that can be so insurmountable to us is the worst hell you will ever face. It's the greatest hell you'll ever know because as a believer, Christ defeated the last enemy. He has defeated death for the Christian. It truly has lost its sting. And as the scriptures say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So this has been my message this morning on this text and really the call for us all this morning. And this isn't the popular message. It's to suffer for the gospel. Suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be willing to do what God has called you to. Do it in the face of any persecution. Please suffer for Christ this morning. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of his word, his truth, his gospel. Share in the sufferings of the gospel by the power of God, for he is with you. And if you're struggling with this, remember the words to young Timothy. If you're struggling with this, remember that he saved you. He gave you life. He stepped in. He took your place. He, he, he showed you his great love. 
And think about it. There are many out there that aren't saved. There's so many that are on the wide path to destruction. There's so many who have no ears to hear that can't hear this gospel message. They reject it. They hate it. They call it foolishness. But He's given you ears to hear. This morning you can hear this wondrous truth that God has come and that God has saved you and God gave His life for you and God took your place on the cross. God suffered when you were supposed to be the one who was judged by God. You remember that that way is narrow and you are one of the select few that has been richly blessed in Christ. And as you struggle to suffer for Christ's sake, remember this was not something that you could do yourself. Remember there was not one ounce of you that deserved salvation. But He loved you anyway. Nothing in you that deserved His grace. The very definition of grace is unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. We tend to think so. We like to think like we've done something to deserve God's favor, but we didn't. So remember that it, it was something that He has done for those who are unworthy. And it wasn't just a simple task. He suffered the judgment that you and I deserve. He suffered the cup of wrath that you and I deserved. He suffered punishment in the place of sinners. There's the last point. As you struggle to suffer for Him, remember His suffering for you. And also remember that He conquered death. That He has gone to prepare a place for you in eternity. And that the absolute worst that could happen you in, to you in this life is to lose your body. The worst that they can do is take your body. And as Christ said, don't fear the ones that can kill the body. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear men. Don't fear death. There's truly nothing to fear as a Christian. And as I said earlier, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We as Christians should have no issue with standing firm for being bold in our faith because the worst this world could do is let us depart from these bodies of death. To let us go on and be with our Lord. For us, let us see that glorious and wonderful day when we stand before our Savior. There is nothing the world can do. We truly can be faithful to Him in any situation. And this is what He's calling you to today. He's calling you to surrender all to Him, to give your life to Him, to count that cost, to know that following Him will have a price. He's calling you to give up your life and to live for Him. Please, I encourage you today to do so.